This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to reread for you verse number 8 as we uh, get right into verse number 9. And I do pray that the study has been a blessing to you. I'm very pleased with your attendance tonight. Thank you so much for coming and being here, part of this Bible study. Now, I'd like for you to look at verse number 8. Again, the Lord Jesus is speaking, and uh, we are moving from the message that he had to the church at Ephesus. We are now moving in to the church of Smyrna. And uh, he says this in verse 8, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write these things, saith the first and the last, which was dead and alive. It could be none other than the Lord Jesus himself speaking these words. And then in verse number 9, the scripture says, I know thy works. Now this is talking about the omniscience of the Lord and that being him all-knowing. There's nothing that the Lord doesn't know. God never bumps into things. God knows all things. He said, I know thy works. Let me emphasize this. He knows a lot about you. He knows all about me. He knows about everything. And so he says, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty. And then he says this, but thou art rich. I'm going to make a comment about that in a moment. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. That's a powerful verse of Scripture right there. Now, one of the things that I want to emphasize about this particular church is that it faced tremendous persecution. Horrific persecution. In fact, Polycarp was killed in Smyrna, but uh, you may not be very familiar with him. I don't want to speak a lot about that tonight. But when you read this passage and you read it slow and you do it for study, you don't just read it to read it. I mean, you do it for study. And you see these words of Jesus, I know thy works in tribulation, and poverty. And then right after the word poverty in parentheses, it says, but thou art rich. That might seem to be a contradiction back to back, but I will assure you that the word of God never contradicts itself. And so when Jesus said, thou art rich, again now, We have to keep this in context. The church at Smyrna was going through uncomprehendable persecution. As a result of that, believers in this early church were under so much scrutiny that they were considered in many cases outcast. They didn't have a lot of the jobs that were going around. They didn't have a lot of the wealth. They didn't have uh, those kinds of commodities. They uh, 
were just getting by with meager survival instincts, basically. But Jesus uses this extraordinary analogy because he says, I know your works. I've seen you in tribulation, he said, and and your poverty. And by the way, when you read this word poverty, I don't know what verse of Scripture comes to your mind, if any, when you connect it with the Lord Jesus. But let us not forget that the word says, though he was rich, he became poor. That through our poverty, you think about that, his poverty, we might be made rich. All right, so, but he says, thou art rich. So what this is speaking of, he is saying, okay, you are the persecuted church. You're going through adverse circumstances. You don't have a lot of wealth. He said, but you're rich. And so what he was emphasizing, what he was talking about, he is saying, but you are rich spiritually. That's important. And that's basically speaking of all of us. Um, it's quite different than the church of Laodicea, which we will get to eventually. The church of Laodicea, they were rich in all kinds of ways, uh, monetarily, but they were spiritually destitute. This church, the church at Smyrna, and remember there's seven. We're talking about seven churches in Asia Minor. The church at Smyrna, they were destitute as far as monetary wealth goes, but yet Jesus said, it doesn't matter. You've been persecuted. I know you're poverty, but you're rich because you're rich in me. That's what he was saying. And I believe there's a reference that I could give you here in Romans chapter 2 and verse 28 and 29. The scripture says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter. That Those are two words that I operate in a lot in the ministry here. And there's what I uh, consider to be the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. It's a lot of areas that uh, I work in every day that requires both of these elements. There are some times when I have to pastorally make decisions within the spirit of the law. And then there are times that I have to unequivocally operate in the letter of the law, things that cannot be uh, negotiated or things that cannot be weakened or watered down. And so, as the next verse comes into play with, with these two scripture references that I've just given you, well, let's look at the, the latter part of verse number nine. He says, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. The scriptures that I've just given you, Romans 2, verse 28 and 29, go hand in hand with the latter part of verse number nine here. And Jesus was, he was commending the church of Smyrna for being able to discern. This is what this is about. Listen carefully. In brief and very short, very simple. Jesus was commending the church 
of Smyrna, who was very persecuted, who was very much in poverty, rich in Christ, but very much lacking in earthly goods or materials, so to speak. However, this church was so rich in Jesus, it was so in tune of what God wanted that they were able to discern. This is a big word. This is important. Uh, and uh, I took some time to make a couple of notations around it because these believers in Smyrna were able to discern. Now, they were not they were not judging people. Uh, they were not acting as somebody's Holy Spirit or acting as if they were holier than thou. I'll get to those lessons here shortly. But he was saying that you, the church, the believers at Smyrna, they were so in tune with God that they were able to discern who was real and who was not. Now, let me say that the scriptures do affirm that by their fruits we shall know them. That doesn't give any of us any right to judge anybody. Now, but he did say that there would be fruits of the Spirit that would identify us as believers. Let me clarify something for you tonight, and I have I have spoken on this many times, and there are several denominational uh, circles who believe that you can lose or give away your salvation. We don't believe that here. We don't practice that here. We believe in eternal security. That's another subject. That's another doctrine. That's something altogether different than what I'm trying to deliver to you tonight. What I'm speaking on is the gift of discernment where these believers knew that when people came into their congregation, they were able to discern who was really real and who was not. Now, that sounds like spooky religion. That's not what the Lord is implying at all. Discernment is what we're talking about. And let me say, discernment is a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual gift. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. A couple of years ago, I taught an entire series on Wednesday nights on spiritual gifts. The question I ask you is, do you know what your spiritual gift is? All of us have at least one. Some of us have two or three or four. And it doesn't mean that God's a respecter persons where he's decided to give you one, limit you there, and give this one two, limit that one. Maybe I'll reteach that entire series again. Knowing your spiritual gifts. Talents are not gifts. Two separate things. But let me say this. Discernment is one of mine. I know what my spiritual gifts are. Discernment is one of mine. I, I don't walk around with a billboard and advertise that all the time. In fact, some of you probably hear it for the very first time. 
But I have known that God has given me the gift of discernment for a long time, years. And basically, probably within 30 seconds of talking to an individual, I can tell you where they're coming from in my heart and in my mind. God has given me the, the gift. So when people tell me a lot of stuff, I'm able to tell that it's a lot of stuff. And I'm pretty much able to tell it's a lot of stuff from the gate, from the get-go. And I have had people to tell me some tear-jerking stories. And I have known in the first 10 seconds that none of it was true. It's a gift. It's, it's not, it's not, uh, any way spooky. It's not a, um, it's not, uh, what they call, what they used to talk about many years ago. I'm looking for the right words, the alphabet, um, ESP. You remember that? It, it's, has nothing to do with that. In fact, I want to show you what I'm talking about in Hebrews chapter five, verse number 14. This is what the scripture says, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full of age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, look at this, to discern both good and evil. Now, most, most of us know right from wrong, and most of us can exercise good godly assortment and judgment. And it doesn't mean that because we have that, that we will always make the good or the right or the best decision doesn't mean that at all. But there, there comes a point in my work and what I do in my calling, my ministry. I don't know how pastors operate without this gift. And, but I'm not saying that every pastor does have the gift of discernment. And I can assure you that I have met many who do not. I don't, I don't know how they get through uh, their tenure, I don't know how to get through their ministry, get through their calling without it. But discernment cannot be mimicked. It cannot be faked. It cannot, uh, because it comes down to um, the real thing or not. And that's what Jesus was talking about in verse number nine. He was saying that you've got discernment. You You can tell. You know who's real and who's not. And that's very important. There's another scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 or 12 and verse number 10. Um, I want you to look at this. 1 Corinthians 12, 10. It says to another, and this is talking about the gifts of the Spirit, the working, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, look at this, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. My spiritual gift, one of my spiritual gifts, is this right here, the discerning of spirits. And it's just a God-given thing. And Jesus was making much of these people in Smyrna who did not have a lot of wealth, but they were rich in God. And one of the blessings that moved the heart of Jesus is that they possessed, they had, they were given the gift of discernment. They were able to tell who was coming into their congregation, who was real and who was not real. But I love these first two words of verse number nine. Look at it carefully in Revelation 2, 9. 
He says, I know. And believe you me, the Lord knows all about us. The church at Simona, they were suffering from a pagan community. Heathenism, paganism seemed to be engulfing them on every which way they turned. They seemed to be a group uh, of people that were just uh, boxed in and persecuted severely. Now, to add to those complications, there seemed to be a, a group, small group of people in the church of Smyrna who claimed to be Jews, but who were really not Jews. Jesus is emphasizing this in verse number 9. The church at Ephesus, they held or they had what was or could be interpreted as super spiritual elders, hierarchy. But the church at Simona didn't really have super spiritual hierarchy. They had what was to be known as super spiritual people. Now, what I mean by that is this. That's something that I can tell in my spiritual gift a country mile off. Because the truth of the matter is, when somebody presents themselves to be such super spiritual, believe me, that's phony, Bohan. Because usually somebody that comes in here with a great big splash, it lasts about two or three months. That's about as far as it gets. Just a little bit of, and then it turns out to be just a little bit of rope. I had, I don't know how many of you remember this or not, but it might be, I don't know, it might be three years. I had, I had a young man that, he was here probably 12 years ago. And there was a course of time that went by, came in with a big splash, and then it was a big exit. And then lo and behold, he, he called Brother Adam one night, and he was crying. Oh, I miss the church, and I miss the preacher. I miss his preaching, and God's... God's called me, and God wants me to sit under the pastor, and God wants him to pour his heart into me. All, you know, all of this stuff, I've heard it so many times, it's almost nauseating. But, you know, I, I listen to it. Adam tells me this stuff. And I, okay, I don't want to be his judge. So the guy comes and brings his family in. He walked in here, stand here in front, and they acknowledge what they have acknowledged to me. And I, I step back and, you know, I'm shaking my head. Don't want to be his judge, not his Holy Spirit. And he, and then he, he says to me, you know, I, I want to preach. I want to preach. I want to teach. I want to teach. Usually, 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 when somebody makes it known, makes it known that that's what they want to do. And I'm not talking about announcing a call-in. When somebody walks in here and says, tell a preacher I want to teach. Tell a preacher I want to teach. 
or comes and tells me, can I be a deacon, can I be a trustee, can I do this, can I do that? When people come up to me and tell me that kind of thing, I'm just, I, I know. It's just a matter of time before something happens. Because usually the people whom God lays on my heart to do those things and I approach them in God's time, they, they, the first thing they say is, I'm not going to do that. Like, I cannot tell you how many people have told me in the past when I've asked them to pray about being a deacon, they would say, oh, preacher, you got the wrong man for this job. That's humbleness. That's humbleness. But when the people come to me and say, I want to do this, I want to, do, I want to teach, I want to be a deacon, I want to be a trustee, I want to do this. And I'm not saying volunteering for service is wrong. Don't get me. Don't take it that way. But what I'm trying to tell you, it, it, there's a lot of discernment into this. I can remember when God called my son Brian to preach. And he went to Illinois as a youth pastor. God used him there for a couple of years, and he just felt God moving him back, back this way. And he came back, and he was attending a church uh, in Wake Forest. That's not too far from Raleigh. And get this and see how God is in this. Because this doesn't happen every day. And this is how you know that it is of God. God spoke to the pastor there. And he could just tell that something was different in Brian's life. Brian was exemplifying a huge desire to serve the Lord and serve the Lord full time and to be in the ministry. And after much prayer, this pastor goes to Brian and he says, God's laid something very specific on my heart about you. And he said, I want you to pray about this. At that time, that church in Wake Forest was running almost 700 members, which in some places was not very big, but compared to where we are, is huge. And the pastor went to Brian and he said, I want you to pray about something very specific. He said, not too far from here in a little town called Roseville. He said, we've done our homework. We've done our research. There's no church that's preaching the word that we know of. He said, I know God's got his hand on you. I know, I can sense, I can feel God has spoke to me. And he said, this is what God has told me to do. Now, this is how you know it's of God. He said, I have prayed. I have got the confirmation from God. God wants me to ask you to plant a church in Roseville, North Carolina. And he said, this is what God also told me. He said, God has told me to call in to my office one at a time. A hundred serving tithing, God-loving families and ask them to go with you. Now, how many do you, I don't know of any preachers that would be willing to say, I want a hundred of you folks to follow this guy and I want y'all to plant a church. But let me tell you this, Brian didn't go to him and say, hey, give me, give me, give me, let me do this, let me do this. God spoke to the preacher. Preacher spoke to Brian. A hundred families signed up for it. 
Today, Brian's running 350 people. It's a God thing. It's a God thing. And so, you, when you get to this, this whole scenario here that's playing out here, the church at Ephesus was, was directed by super spiritual people. God doesn't, God doesn't need super spiritual people. He needs super humble people. If my people which are called by my name shall not exalt themselves, but if my people which are called by their, by my name shall humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will hear the land. Isn't that what the word says? And so when I read a passage of scripture like this, these people in Smyrna, they were proud and lofty. God, God can use humbleness all day long. God can use meekness all day long. But it's the proud, it's the haughty, it's, it's, it's the uh, restlessness that repels God. Now, so these people at Smyrna, they were proud and they were lofty. And they were doing things for all of the wrong reasons. And God says to these believers in Smyrna, you're able to tell. You can discern. You have this gift of discernment. You can tell who's coming into this congregation and who's doing this for all of the right reasons. You can also tell who's doing it for all of the wrong reasons. I can remember years ago, and I quit right here. I can't hardly believe it. But... And this is probably 25 years ago. You, you mentioned something about the anniversary coming up, 43 years. I can't wait to one day I write a book that says, the title of this book is going to be, I could tell you some stuff if you just sit down and listen. After 43 years, I can tell you some stuff. I had a guy that came into the church about 25 years ago, maybe 30. And he said, Preacher, I won't take you to breakfast. I said, well, okay, love you. Do. I love to do that fellowship with you and so forth. And I did and had a great time. He said, then I won't take you to lunch. I said, okay. Now, if y'all won't do that, I ain't turning it down. I tell you that. <laughs> I will go. But I'm, listen, so two or three times of that went by and he laid down his business card on the table one day and then he said this, he said, look, he said, your shoes, they don't really match your suit. Said, if I were you, I wouldn't wear those shoes. He said, take this card, go down here and he gave me the name of the place. He said, tell him I sent you this business card, Dale, they'll hook you up. That kind of thing went on from shoes to a suit to a couple other things. And again, this thing of discernment, I told Gail, I said, something ain't right. Something is not right. I can tell you another story about uh, along these lines that I might do one Wednesday night in this series. But it kept Going on to, I said, this, this, this is a wonderful guy. And he's just seems to be like he's wanting to do things to help the church and to help me. And 
I said, but I can't put my finger on it right now. I said, but what I do know is that it's not right. So I told her, I said, you know, I'm, I've, I've been to these places with him. I've had these meals and I've done this stuff. I've got these shoes. I've, I said, but you know what? I told her, I said, I'm, I'm done with it. And so the last time that I told him that this will be the end of it, he says, I want to come by and talk to you. I said, okay. He came. And this is what he said to me. He said, I guess you know, this is how it starts on this last go. He said, I guess you know by now. He said, I'm a very wealthy man. Yes, I own my own business. Yes, I know that. And he said this. He said, if you would allow me to run this entire organization, he said, you'll never have a need for anything else in your life. And instantly, I said, And I stepped back and I said, my friend, this preacher is not for sale. I'm not for sale. He got in his car, and it was about 10 years before I saw him. One day we were having a yard sale out here. and He showed up as if nothing ever happened. But it's, it's a gift. It's a, it's a thing that God has given to me. And, and I, sometimes I, I play the game for just long enough for a person to feel that they've really fooled me. And the whole time I've got it figured out at the gate. And that's how these people had crept into the church. They were fooling or trying to fool these believers in Smyrna. God says, you've got the gift. You can pick it up. You can sense it. You know it. You know the, the difference. You know who's real and who was not. Now, verse, it's 8 o'clock. Well, let me get into verse 10 for you real quick. Jesus also said, now these are strong words. He said, these people, they're phonies, and they're from or they are part of, they are the synagogue of Satan. That's, that's part, you know, Jesus called people snakes and vipers. He used some strong terminology in describing people from time to time. But here, I mean, I don't know how much he called, you know, remember what he said? He called somebody an old fox. These are snakes and vipers, serpents. But here he used, he said, this is of the church, the synagogue of Satan. He says in verse 10, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Jesus is saying, listen, because you're taking the stand, a good stand, the right stand. He said, you're going to suffer. And behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. Jesus is letting them know how bad it's going to get. And you're going to be tried. And you shall have tribulation 10 days. This is important. I'll talk about this next Wednesday night. What is this 10 days? Tribulation 10 days. All right? He says, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee crown of life. The Bible specifically mentions five different crowns. We're going to talk about them. I want you to come and have something to write them 
down in the scriptures that accompany it. We talked about the tree of life last week, which is an additional reward. But this is an amazing scripture right here because Jesus was preparing believers for the trouble that was coming. And I do believe that in these last days that we live in right now, that we are seeing unprecedented trouble and evil and wickedness. Jesus said prior to his return, things were going to symbolize the days of Noah. We are there. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.